Thank you. I love hearing good guitarists play. But as an ukulele player, I wonder, what do you need the other two strings for? <laughs> you only have four fingers, right? Four, two, two, four, two, two, Yeah, I understand that. Good morning. Good morning. I love being with the children. What a joy it is. And that's your future, folks. That's our church. And I, I want you to say, I've shared with us some of his artwork he put on the altar, presenting his gift. Let's learn from our children. He came and did it. He wasn't asked to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. He wasn't paid to do it. He just made an offer. And so we learn from our children that such is the kingdom of heaven. I'm Gordon Smith. I am a retired United Methodist clergy person. And I have the privilege every once in a while to preach in our area churches here in Oscarson, El Paso, I preached in DRC uh, and, uh, and other places around. It's always a pleasure. However, I'm learning very quickly that when someone asks me to preach, I'll say, what scripture are you going to use? And I want to read it first because I didn't do that today. <laughs> I said, Ross, yeah, I'd love to do it. Sure, when? He said, well, we're looking at the things. How about the fifth things? I said, that's fine. He said, I'm doing Jeremiah. I said, okay. He said, you've got this scripture reading for that day. I read it. Ross, I'm going to get you with this. <laughs> I'd like to be a happy person. <clears throat> Listen to this. This is from the work of Jeremiah, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and then verses 22 through 28. I don't think that's on the screen here, the capsule. Because um, these are tough words. At that time, this people and Jerusalem will be told a blistering wind from the bare heights. It rages in the deserts toward my people, not merely to winnow or cleanse. This wind is too devastating for them. Now I, even I, will pronounce my sentence against them. This is from God. My people are foolish. They don't even know me. They are thoughtless children without understanding. They are so skilled at doing wrong, inept at doing right. I looked at the earth and it was without shape or form, at the heavens and there was no light. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were rocking back and forth. I looked and there was no one left. Every bird in the sky had been. I looked, and the fertile land was a desert. All the towns were in ruins before the Lord, before his spirit. <clears throat> the Lord proclaims the whole earth will become a desolation. But I will not destroy it completely. Therefore the earth will grieve and the heavens grow dark because I have declared my plan and will neither change my mind nor cancel the plan. Well, good news for today. <laughs> you see why I'm going to get Ross? Bring it against preacher to take all this. But it is, it's a pleasure to be here. Share this word. 
Because as I read scripture, I always try to find there's got to be something in there, something hopeful. I think about it. Go back. Almighty God, open our hearts and minds to your word this morning that, that we've already sung about, we've prayed about, we've made our confession about, we've shared with the children about, and we've read it. Now, Lord, let that word be faithfully that we might hear your voice and turn home to you. In Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Amen. In Meredith Wilson's The Music Man, have you seen the show or the play? There's a character called Professor Harold Hill, who we learn is not a professional nor is his name Harold Hill. But he comes into this little community of River City, Iowa for the malicious purpose of wheeling all these good people out of their hard-earned money with the rather nebulous auspices of starting a boys' band. And to make his point, Professor Hill sings this song. It's called, You Got Trouble. And these are part of the lyrics. Yes, you got lots and lots of trouble. I'm thinking about the kids and the knickerbockers, shirt-tailed young ones peeking into the pool hall window after school. You got trouble, folks, right here in River City. Trouble with a capital T, and that rhymes with P, and that stands for who? If only the pool hall was only part of If it was only that. We are living in a troubled world, my friends. A very troubled world. If you read, watch, or listen to any news outlet, or God help us, any social network, you hear troubles. You hear troubles. If you go to a city council meeting, or you go to a county commission meeting, or you go to a school board meeting, and you will hear about all the troubles right here in Las Cruces. Troubles with a capital T and that rhymes with C and that stands for concern. We are concerned. We're concerned about our city. We're concerned about our county. We're concerned about our state. We're concerned about our nation. We're concerned about our world. And rightfully so. Now, do I sound gloomy on this beautiful Sunday morning in Las Cruces? Yeah, I do. But so does Jeremiah. I mean, folks, that's a really downer of a scripture read. I read it and read it and read it, and I said, oh, Lord, I've got to find something good here. For 40 years old, Jeremiah had been telling these people, this is what's going to happen to you. It's coming. It's bad. It's horrible. You're going to hate it. But it didn't have to happen that way. It didn't have to happen that way. If the people had simply turned back to God, then things would not have been as Jeremiah foretold. Early on in his ministry, God had Jeremiah say to the people, the Lord proclaims, I remember your first love, your devotion as a young bride, 
how you followed me in the wilderness in an unplanted land. And then in the book of Revelation, John writes to the church in Ephesus, but I have this against you. You have let go of the love you had at first. Do you remember your first love? You, you might have married that person. Or it might have been your first heartbreak. Now, don't tell my wife 48 years this, but she wasn't my first love. My first love was Pam Rivard Caldwell Eastwood. And 65 years ago, it was a torrid third grade romance. <laughs> but it wasn't a spur of the moment thing. Pam and I have known each other literally since we was, well, she's older than I. She was four months, I was two months. We went to school together, we graduated in the same class, and then we went our separate ways for a number of years. But we've reconnected over these years, and there's still a love affair but a different kind of love. A love affair that's grown out of 70 years of friendship. It's an affair, a love affair that keeps us together even when we really diverge politically. And it can be heated, I will say. Ben's about two foot four. I'm sure she gets mad, she's about 10 foot eight. But I cherish that relationship. That's been going on over 70 years. First loves are special. And first loves are able to withstand all the times of trouble. For the people of Israel, God was their first love. God traveled with them from time before time. God delivered them out of a slavery, out of a bondage in Egypt, only for them to turn around and become slave owners themselves. You would think they would have learned already. But God never stopped loving them. They wanted kings. God gave them kings. Some were good kings, some were evil. Some were very successful, some were utter failures. But God's love never left them. But God's people had left their first love. In the midst of this gloomy prophet, and actually earlier I said, this is that gloom of a very bright, sunny, lustrous effect. Well, I had to take that with that one. So these gloomy skies might make us think about that. Because there are six words in this reading that I want you to hear very clearly. God says this. I will not destroy it completely. Say that with me. I will not destroy it completely. You see, with God, there's always a caveat. There's always a little crack in the door. There's always room Rachel Held Evans was a young, talented visionary among today's Christian thinkers. She passed away from an undetermined illness in May. I had a chance to meet her, know her, and in her 37 years, 
She had a very positive and profound impact on 21st century Christianity. Her last book was inspired. That's the title. But it was also the motivation for her to write this book about how we can maybe better understand scripture. She talks about the many stories. And when she talks about the deliverance stories that we find in the Bible, be warned, she writes, in scripture and in life, the road to deliverance always takes a detour. Rarely do the people of God reach any kind of promised land without a journey or two through the wilderness. Now, if y'all were back, somebody would say amen. Because we've been there. Like Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, all had time in the wilderness. As do we. It's a time of renewal. We have our troubles. And that's our wilderness. But it's also a place of change and renewal. Because God will not allow destruction, ruin, failure, disease, anger, hate, or prejudice be the last one. We need only to read the stories of the Bible to know that God always, always brings us hope, peace, and comfort. I want to share three Jesus stories with you that I think illuminate this one sentence of this dire prophecy. First of all, we talk about hope. And the story that Matthew tells not this man, the gospel writer Matthew. When Jesus went to Capernaum, a centurion approached, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is flat on his back at this time, paralyzed, and his suffering is awful. Jesus responded, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and the servant does that. When Jesus heard this, he was impressed. And he said to the people following him, I say to you with all seriousness that even in Israel, I haven't found faith like this. Go, he says to the centurion. It will be done for you as you have believed. And his servant was killed at that very moment. Oh, I could go another 23 minutes just on that passage. Why in the world would a Roman oppressive soldier come to this Jewish preacher? He was above him. He was stronger than him. He could kill him without any kind of result, any kind of punishment. But the centurion heard about this Jewish teacher and heard about the miracles he performed and he was willing to cross racial and cultural barriers because he had hope that this Jesus could, could heal his servant and there must have been a very special bond 
They claimed the centurion and his servant because that goes against the grain that he would care whether or not the servant lived or died. Now that don't get enough. Plenty of slaves around, plenty of servants around. But he wanted his servant good. And he knew Jesus knew. He came to Jesus in hope for help. Hope helps us persevere. In Jeremiah's day, they were hopeless. The temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was raised. The people of government, the leaders, the rich people, all of them, they were deported. They were taken out of exile in Babylon. There was no hope. So when Jeremiah spoke God's word, I will not destroy it completely. He spoke a word of hope right there, folks. Just those little six words and all those other words. That's what we cling to. Yes, we recognize the troubles. Yes, we know it's bad. Yes, we know it's desperate. I will not destroy it completely. No matter how dire our world seems. Remember, we have hope in Jesus. When the sharp divide of our political world gets you down, remember, Jesus spoke truth against tyranny and prejudice and injustice. When we see the tragedy of the asylum seekers right here in our hometown, remember there's hope. When people listen to Jesus, hope gives us something to move toward. But we have to move toward it with determination. Hope and then determination. This story also from the Gospel of Matthew. Then a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus and touched the hem of his clothes. She thought, if only I touch his robe, I will be healed. When Jesus turned and saw her, he said, be encouraged, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that time on. It is hope that drives determination. This woman that Matthew tells us about was gravely ill. She had been ill. She had this bleeding disorder for over 12 years. And she was an outcast now. She was, by Jewish law, by Jewish law, she was not able to have relations with her husband. By law, she was not able to hold her children on her lap. By law, she wasn't able to go into the village to buy food. And by law, she was unable to worship in the community of faith. She was an absolute outcast. But she had a determination. Determination to get to Jesus, a determination to get healed. And she had the faith to say, if I only touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Like the centurion who had hope that Jesus could simply speak the word of healing. This woman believed that all she had to do was just reach out, just touch the robe of Jesus and receive this miracle. Now, she wasn't even supposed to be there. She wasn't supposed to be in the midst of all these people. She, she was unclean. She was one of them. She was not welcome. But 
but she pushed and she shoved and she made her way until she could see Jesus and she reached forward and I would imagine she fell down because she only touched just the hem of his right. Just the hem. Just the broken threads at the bottom where the dirt is, where the grime is. And Jesus turned and saw her and he said, by your faith you have been the word of healing came to this woman because she was determined to get to Jesus. How determined are you this morning to get to Jesus? Are you willing to push against the status quo to get to Jesus? Are you able, are you willing to stand against bitterness, hatred, and prejudice to get to Jesus? Sometimes I feel like I'm waiting against the street. So I remain faithful to what I understand to be God's claim on my life. Yes, I feel like I'm waiting against the frame of my God and I keep waiting. I've run into a lot of oppositions. I've run into opposition so much during my time in ministry. But I keep on pushing. I keep on waiting. Because I am determined to follow Jesus. And as much as I understand him. Christians, you are a determined bunch. You do not give up. You do not cower to hatred and prejudice. You are determined to find the hope that you know lies in the life and the teachings of Jesus. We have hope and we're determined. And you know what happens next? We are blessed. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said this, Give, and it will be given to you, a good portion, packed down, firmly shaken, and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. If your hope leads to determination, then determination will lead to blessing. As I think about how blessed I have been in my 72 years, I am amazed. Not that life has been a bed of roses, no, it's been plenty of thorns. But through it all, God has been with me. He has been with me, encouraging me. He has been with me, challenging me. And he has been with me, blessing me as he has with me. Now, playing pool in River City, Iowa may not be such a bad deal. But Professor Harold Hill saw it as an opportunity for something good. Can I give him credit for that? He was a swimmer, yes, definitely. But he saw this as an opportunity to start this boy's band. He did it. That's the whole end of the story. Thanks to Mary and I. He brought blessings out of the curse. When the people of Israel were in exile, when their whole world was turned upside down, when the temple was destroyed, when Jerusalem was torn down, when the leaders were taken into exile in Babylon, the people found the blessing. Remember the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah at the end of the exile, after 50 years of exile, 50 years. That's a generation and a half. People began to trickle back 
And Nehemiah said, we got to build, we got to build. And they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the temple. And Ezra said, we need to bless what we have done. And so they did. And they reestablished the people of God in that way. The blessing came from the dire consequences of sin, what we call the exile. There is nothing in your life where God is not at work. Hear that? There is nothing in your life where God is not at work. I'm thinking this morning about Jack the Sledge Master. He's in Seattle with their son, Steve. Steve is a friend of mine. He's also a brother pastor. And for this past week or so, he's been extremely ill. He's been in ICU. Good news, he came out last night to follow Jackie on Facebook. But almost every day, I've gotten a text from Jackie giving me a little bit of update on Steve. Small steps. He's making toward recovery. There's the blessing. There's the blessing out of the dire consequences of illness. Like the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. There's the blessing. Like the centurion who came to Jesus for help. There's the blessing. There's nothing in your life that God cannot bless. We give of ourselves in hope and determination. As we give, we receive. In Jesus' words, a good portion, not just a little bit, a good portion, packed down, firmly shaken, and overflowing. As you heard this morning scripture read, what was going through your mind? First of all, why does crazy preacher read this? But did you hear the consequences of sin in Israel? Or maybe you heard something about your own life, some place in your own heart where there's troubles. Some place in your relationship where there's troubles. Some place in your job where there's troubles. Remember the words of God to Jeremiah. I will not destroy it completely. Say it again. I will not destroy it completely. Believe it. Believe it. There is hope. And when we exercise hope with determination, there is blessing.